and welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests. In this podcast, we talk about metacognition and how important that is to us in the classroom. And I found an Emily Dickinson poem that I just wanted to share the first two verses of uh, with you because I think it helps us get our head into the game of metacognition. It's called The Brain is Wider Than the Sky. The brain is wider than the sky, for put them side by side, the one the other will contain with ease, and you beside. The brain is deeper than the sea, for hold them blue to blue, the one the other will absorb, as sponges buckets do. Really excited today to welcome to our podcast, Nathan Burns. Nathan is a teacher of mathematics and assistant key stage three progress and achievement leader. He's the founder of the brilliant metacognition.org.uk, which I've had a good look at, offers lots of metacognitive resources and CPD. So go and have a look at that. He's written about and delivered CPD on metacognition for several years, including most recently his part in the Metacognitive Handbook. Nathan, a huge welcome to our podcast. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's lovely, lovely for you to join, especially at the end of a busy school day. So well done. He's had his, he's had his two minute cup of coffee and he's, he's good to go again. Yes, that's it. That's all I've had. <laughs> <laughs> so Nathan, just tell us a bit about you. And I wondered what your own school experience was like when you were a child and whether that had a part in inspiring you to go into the profession that you're in now. I think when I was growing up, I always wanted to go into politics. That was actually the area that I first started thinking that I'd be interested in. Um, actually studied politics at university and it's actually there that I realised I just I, I couldn't put up with politics. I couldn't be putting up with the lies and the spin and, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I don't know what you um, mean, Nathan. <laughs> but actually, I really still had that passion to sort of work with others, to, um, to help others and to, you know, to deliver, to deliver change. And that's where I guess education really did start to sort of fit into my plans. Probably by the end of first year of university, I knew that that's the avenue I wanted to go down. Yeah. In terms of my, in terms of my own schooling, I was very, very fortunate, I think, in terms of my upbringing. You know, always in those top sets in a very, very good school. Any opportunity I needed, um, I had really, either, you know, from, from home or really within school, it always had those opportunities. And I think I've really carried that through and it's really hit me in my first few years of teaching how how few students actually have those opportunities either from home mm. or, or from school schools are just spread so thinly um and actually I love to work on how can we get those opportunities in so whether it's metacognition which we'll be talking about today mm. or whether it's uh, you know whether it's something else whether it's organizing trips or identifying opportunities and competitions that that students can get involved in the sort of thing that I did when when I was at school really yeah fascinating it's so interesting to hear the stories of our guests and how actually that that early experience is very formative in in carving the path that we follow. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. I saw um, you'd written a test article quite recently, exploring politics in a balanced way. And that just made me smile. And I thought, oh my goodness. So how can we be balanced when teaching something so emotive and subjective Mm. as politics or whatever it might be that's, that's emotive? It, it is a difficult one. I think that's always people's concerns, isn't it? When they when they get involved in politics or discussing politics, mm. the the fear that well, there might be an accusation of others supporting one party over the other. 
And though it's though it may appear quite difficult, actually, whenever I'm teaching politics in school, it's actually fairly easy to be objective, just really focusing on, you know, how do we vote? What's the process? Who are the main parties? Mm. What what are their main beliefs? And we're not we're not looking at, you know, their latest policy on benefits or the latest policy on taxing. We're just talking, you know, more generally about their overarching aims and beliefs. And the kids really, really enjoy just being able to get a, a taste of what politics is all about. And actually, it, it, I often take a class who maybe haven't selected to do that politics session with me. And by the end of the session or after a few sessions, they're really enjoying it and just understanding something which they've now come to realize does impact their everyday lives mm. is, is something really powerful. And it's like I said, I wanted to bring in, you know, my upbringing. I wanted to bring in, you know, what I was, you know, passionate about and actually bringing in politics. I still love it, even if I don't want to go and work in that area. Being able to deliver a little bit of politics to students is, is wonderful, really. Yeah, absolutely. And you're empowering their voice. You know, they've got a part to play in society. So boosting that ability to contribute. Definitely. They're going to walk out of our building age, 16, age 18, and the world will be their voice. And we want them to be politically literate. We want them to be able to go and vote and make informed decisions don't we yeah so you know absolutely we want them to be able to do maths and english and science but obviously politics is something which will impact everybody regardless of career so it, it's something we really do need to work on yeah I think. and you know at local level too that's it's really vital thank you nathan so you said uh in the tests i think january this year mm. that metacognition is something we should all be on board with and i just wondered is that something then that we should all be delivering in schools? And why, if it, if it is, should we all be on board with it? I don't think we disagree with saying that we need to provide, you know, feedback to students. You know, I don't think we disagree that we need to provide really solid modelling to students or really mm. high quality questions. And metacognition to me just fits into all of them. You know, it's part of giving really good feedback. It's part of giving, um, you know, high quality modelling. To me, metacognition isn't something that we should deliver outside of the curriculum or outside of our, you know, typical mm. lessons. It's something that we need to embed in our day-to-day -day teaching. I think you can't just do an add-on lesson and, and stick it on the top. Exactly that. You know, that is pretty redundant, almost certainly going mm. to fail. And you're just going to lose students having an abstract session on what is a complicated theory. I think this is the reason that teachers probably don't get involved in metacognition. It is it, of all the theories it seems to be very theory heavy if that you know if that's possible mm. um there's a there's a lot out there but it's not hugely accessible now obviously the eef did some work on metacognition and, and self-regulation in over the last few years which has helped to open up metacognition as as a theory as a pedagogy that's more accessible to to teachers which is brilliant but i think we're still needing to continue that conversation and really see how it can work in the classroom we might have broken that theory down into something which we can absorb and actually read and compute, but it's probably not where we need it to be in terms of implementing into the classroom yet. Mm. So do you think that's one of the reasons why we don't all do it? I think it's exactly that. It is, it's something, there isn't a clear, or at this point, there aren't clear strategies really that we can use. Um, you know, there are some texts out there that's developing literature on, on sort of strategies that you can implement into lessons. Mm. But it's it's very ad hoc. You might find a couple of strategies, you know, here on a blog and there on a blog or maybe a good template here, a good template there. But really, we're still struggling to, you know, explain to, you know, teaching professionals, this is how you can get into your lesson. This is how you should embed it. This is what you're looking for. Mm. Um, and, you know, this is when you should go for it. Without without that, without that literature, without the easily accessible set of resources, teachers are going to struggle. Yeah. Help us out then, Nathan. If we've got a maths lesson tomorrow, 
next week that we're planning for in September? What should we be doing? What sort of things do you know work for you? Metacognitively, I think for me and maths, it's all about the modeling. So mm. obviously different, different areas of metacognition and different metacognitive strategies will work well for different subjects. And obviously for me, I've got that expertise in maths being, being a maths teacher. It is, it is for me all about that modeling. So we, we know in maths, we've got a huge range of different strategies which we can use to approach the same question. And I know that's true of, of course, of other subjects, you know, when you're writing an essay or approaching a, an analysis question, there's different ways of course of, of going about it, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but in maths, when I'm getting that modeling on the board, I'm, I'm getting the different strategies put down side by side. I'm discussing why I'm choosing one strategy over the other. I'm contemplating out loud to the students the benefits and drawbacks of those alternative strategies of, of those multiple strategies and I'm even modeling it in different ways something so simple as a multiplication are we getting it in a column are we getting it in a grid are we doing it in napier's bones we know there are different strategies and we want to be able to show them to our students and and give them context as to when they may or, or may not use them so that that would be the first thing I'd say in maths you know really think about that modeling how can we discuss prioritize and decide when we're going to use those different strategies yeah and making that learning process really tangible. So, and also for the teacher, maybe it makes you more real. I think so. If, if we're breaking it down and not just regurgitating the same mm. strategy over and over, and we're not just saying, right, we do this and then we do this and we do this. If we're actually considering, right, this is why we're doing it. This is a drawback of it, of course, but you know, there's this, this, and this, which provides it as an advantage and actually showing students the method that they're using and alternatives, it, it definitely does add, add a nice context and it empowers students. There's nothing worse than for knowing one strategy to approach a question and that strategy not being the, the most suitable one for a question. We've all sat there and thought, ah, I have one way of doing this yeah. and it doesn't really work, not just in maths, but generally in life. There's, there's a million, you might go and you know, cook a meal and you, know, you might be trying to poach some eggs. And if you don't have a poach, you might be thinking, ah, I'm yeah. stuffed now, what, you know, what yeah. should I do? It's so empowering. Actually, I know like, what you should do because I did it the other day. You have to twirl the water. You have to twirl the, the water yeah, round this, and round. This is the one I've been trying. I, I've still not <laughs> quite mastered it. They're all going into a clump in the middle. But yes, there are, there are different strategies, aren't there? Whether we there can, really are. Whether we can use them or not, you know, that's, that's another What's annoying altogether. is it takes a long time. It's a bit like pancakes. I haven't yet mastered doing five poached eggs at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's, it's just so empowering, isn't it, to, to think, ah, actually... I do have another way of doing this. I've got another way to approach this. And mm. I, I think that adds such confidence to students, especially in something like maths, where maths anxiety is a, is a growing a growing thing that we're aware of. We know, that, yeah, we know for so. a long time that yeah. maths anxiety exists. And now it's actually getting, you know, that, that medical acknowledgement. We know that it is, it is something that exists in students. They come into a maths classroom and that anxiety, that fear is, is true. It's real. Mm. To empower students with multiple strategies and the confidence to use multiple strategies it's 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 huge it really is with maths anxiety we're maybe more willing to talk about it a bit more open about it now uh, definitely I think you know as we as we've gone through sort of the last decade the the opening up of, of mental health and having those discussions is really powerful mm. and yeah for a student to be able to come to you and say right I am really struggling it's not just me not being able to give it a go or or not knowing I'm just I'm just scared I'm fearful to have that recognized as as, as something that does impact you know, and, and for having students who can come and, and discuss that. It's great for culture as well, isn't it? You know, mm. I know we say we want an open culture in class for students to be able to, 
discuss concerns and whatnot, but actually being able to, you know, address address mental health concerns and address anxieties makes makes that actually become more true, doesn't it? Yeah, because we're dealing with with every element of of a human being in front of us, aren't we? We're not just trying to educate their maths brain. <laughs> Definitely, and exa- exactly now coming out of lockdowns, isn't it? We we've got to be a lot more conscious of these difficulties. You know, students over the past what eighteen months have had six months probably such a disparate experience yeah if not more if bubbles have burst and you know areas in the uk so that's a lot of time for example to be doing maths on your own you know our homework is often a hard slog for students a 30 minute piece once a week we're talking about you know six months of education they might have to do on their own you know sharing a laptop doing it with papers helping brothers sisters etc it's it's been difficult hasn't it so it's it's great that we can you know recognize that and support students with it welcome them back to the classroom absolutely That actually leads me really nicely into something else I found that you said. This was in one of your OUP blogs. Mm. And you said, be kind to yourself and understand that introducing metacognition into your classroom will take time and reflection. And I just wondered if there's anything you were willing to talk about that, that you struggle with when you're looking at metacognition in the classroom. I think it's persevering with a strategy. So obviously when I, when I sort of began to get interested in metacognition quite a few years ago, mm. actually bringing in a strategy, it's very easy just to, to give up. If you, if you present it to students and they're, they're sort of sat there thinking, what on earth is this? I don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't matter how clearly you explain it, the students just, just don't get it. Mm. We know that metacognition has it always a hugely powerful tool or a hugely powerful pedagogy that we can introduce in our classrooms. It's just, it is about, you know, persevering with it. So even this year with my year 11 students, I gave them something called a problem solving grid. Mm. I kind of gave it to the beginning of, beginning of the year. I um, put some sort of key questions on a whiteboard at the side of my room. And um, it's actually up in front of me now. And actually the most use that a year 11 had out of that, that board this year was turning the little cutouts upside down. I didn't engage significantly with it. I put it down. I thought, right, that's great. I've got it there. I've got this new template. I've got these key questions it's on a poster, you know, it's, it's on a display. It's mm. going to be brilliant. It's going to work really well. And actually that that's somewhere that I need to work on next year. I didn't embed it early enough. Um, and actually, if I'd have spent some time focusing on it this year with, with that new class, it would have worked really well. Ironically, last year when I trialed it for the first time with, with another year 11 class, I did spend that time and I actually spent after school revision sessions just utilizing this problem solving template over and over and over again. Mm. And actually, because I worked with a, a more high ability group, I probably fell into a misconception that we'll probably come back to later. But thinking right that they're more they're more able mathematically, they're two or three grades higher. They'll just know what we're doing with this template. So I'll yeah. just give it to them and they'll, they'll use it. But actually, I just needed to go back to basics and spend some time embedding it because I know it works. It worked with my class last year. They went from not really being able to problem solve to actually being able to give give stuff a good go yeah so actually spending more time on that would have been really powerful and something that I'll be looking at next year with my year 11s great support and help for us there so do you think that there's an area of metacognition that we we undervalue I think it's all to do with the monitoring so I often break down um, as does most, most literature metacognition sort of planning monitoring and evaluation we're great at evaluation. We know we, we, we're moving with the research now in terms of giving feedback, and we? we're moving away from that that written marking and the triple marking, and mm. you know the you know verbal assess you know verbal verbal feedback given sort of stamps and, and all that jazz. We're moving towards high quality verbal feedback. We're working towards you know quality dirt lessons, mm. quality you know uh, exam revision and recap. And I think we're, we're we're pretty good as a profession at that planning. You know, 
I think if you look across any faculty in any school, they're going to have numerous templates they've got to answer different types of questions. But the thing I think we miss out on is that monitoring, that, that middle stage, you know, you've planned and you're beginning on, on answering that question or producing that essay or writing that story, but you need to actually keep a check of your progress before you get to that evaluation, don't you? There's no point planning it, doing it completely and then getting to the end and realizing, right, you've missed out X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You've forgotten to talk about one character totally. Or actually, you've completely misread the question or maybe you've put it in the wrong order. So that monitoring, that, that, that sort of evaluation as we go, yeah, reflection mm. as we go, I think is such an important area and would probably help a lot with, with student confidence in our subjects because if students recognise things they should be including and equally don't want to be including, it's really helpful for them to know as they go along, you know, what, 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 should, what should they be seeing on the paper in front of them rather than waiting for the end and realising, ah, just spent half an hour doing something and it is completely wrong. Yeah, it's that importance of reflection. Actually, we, we model that as well, don't we, as we're working through the lesson. Otherwise, you end up in GCSE exams, you know, going off on a tangent and talking about something that the question didn't ask you to look at at all. Yeah, exactly. I think we we often value mistakes, don't we, in the classroom and, and we we learn from them. But I know, I think we all fall into it, maybe if we're rushing or we've had a, a poor lesson before, we make a mistake on the board, maybe we just quickly rub it out or, you know, put a line through it and, and correct it. Do we actually explore that with students, you know, a misspelling of a word or, you know, a poor syntax in a sentence or a miscalculation that we've just done? Mm. Do we explore that? Because actually that's really high quality monitoring. Mm. If I was to do seven times seven on the board and get 59, I would see that thing. Oh, you know, that, that can't be right. I know it, you know, actually, I know I can recall that fact it's 49. Have I explained that to my students? So are they thinking, yeah, that's 59, move on. Yeah. So actually really taking the time to consider our mistakes and what, we, of course, we're monitoring all the time, aren't we? We're monitoring the students. We're monitoring how tasks are going. We're constantly making changes. Do we model that to students? Are we making those changes explicit to our students? Yeah. And it's, again, being happy to be wrong. And maybe that takes quite a lot of confidence when you're, especially in the early days of your teaching career. Certainly. Or when you're, when you're a student teacher and you're learning your trade, being willing to be wrong in front of 30 kids. Definitely. It might be year nine and a bit challenging. And yeah. that's quite tough. It really is. I think, you know, as teachers, we'll all have been there where you've got a class and you're thinking, oh, there's probably some students in here who are who are cleverer than me. They seem to know more than me. I can't possibly make a mistake. You know, we seem to be sort of, you know, fighting to sort of, you know, keep ahead of them. Whereas, like you say, after a few years, you kind of come to that point and you're thinking, right, it's fine to make a mistake. There probably is a student in this class who is cleverer than me. You know, I've, I've got a year seven this year who I think is cleverer than me. And often he'll sort of explain stuff to the students. That's fine if he's got a better way of doing it. Brilliant. So, you know, really, really taking taking that on board. And yeah, like you say, having the confidence to say, right, actually, I made a mistake there. Let's re-explore that and see and really analyze what mistake I made. And how did I know it was a mistake? That, that's, that's the monitoring there, isn't it? How yeah. did I know it was a mistake? How did I know yeah. to change direction or reverse and, and, you know, redo it rather than, doing it completely and, and realizing the mistake later on yeah it's it's a really vital element of our practice isn't it to be reflective and look at those processes and building blocks that we take for granted and we maybe don't even recognize exactly. that we're doing yeah it's just peeling back those layers there's that idea of expert blindness isn't it and the more you teach, oh, I like that expert blindness. expert blindness yeah I, I, that's not one of mine I've stolen that, <laughs> that from that's somewhere. not why that, I need that was... glasses I don't think <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I've stolen that from from somewhere on my my uh, my initial teacher training, I think, from years ago. Um, but yeah, it's that expert blindness. We know it. Why, why don't the kids know it? We've mm. put it on the board. We've explained it. How can mm. they not know? Actually, yeah, breaking it down. What are those misconceptions? You know, why do I know that I'm going in the wrong direction? Telling yeah. students, I know this is not correct because I know this can be better because yeah. I know that I've made a mis or I've shown a misconception because that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and articulating that you know, within groups or with the teacher or I, I had a little look at your Twitter and um, slightly stalky, but not too bad. <laughs> and um, I noticed that your school do D of E, Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah. Is, that, is yeah. that something you're part of or is that something that you haven't got time for? Because you're very busy with metacognition.org.uk. I am. Yeah, fairly busy. So it's something that I did at school, actually. So it's it's something that I'm, I'm hugely passionate about. So I did bronze and silver and didn't, didn't quite get, I did everything on, on gold apart from sort of put it all together, but I got the experiences, which yeah. is what I needed really. It's something that I've, I've sort of managed to get out of this year, more due to work-life balance. So it's, it's probably something we'll come on to later, but the commitments after school, working in a pastoral job now, I've also sort of picked up a lot of work on more able yeah, and talented metacognition, finding a, an after school that is meeting free is, is pretty lucky right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've managed to Hugely avoid busy that time. now. Maybe, maybe when my kids are older and I and maybe drag them with me on those hikes, I'll be able to support. But oh, yeah, that would be Right fun. now, that, that's one of those that... I've managed to sort of push to one side. It's something I absolutely love, though. It's those are the probably the best experiences of my of my school school time doing Duke of Edinburgh. Absolutely oh, loved it. Absolutely loved it's it. It's such a such a valuable thing to do, isn't it? And it, I was looking at your Twitter feed, and I just wondered whether you felt there were some benefits for some of our students in when they're doing DV in sort of linking that practical activity to the metacognitive process and making that implicit explicit but in a really tangible way you know when you're planning a route or putting up a tent or thinking about how you're going to boil the kettle or is there some value in that do you think well there's value in in metacognition in any in any any part of life you know however old you are however young you are I always sort of think that metacognition is all around us all the time you know Mm. you might be driving to work and you think right I know that I need to be slow for this corner because last time I was a bit quick and maybe Mm. I you know you know, was was a bit too close to the hedge or, you know, whatever it might have been. That's metacognitive. We're evaluating past performance, mm. aren't we? So you are, you're absolutely right. It's really nice when it's something tangible. You know, you're putting up the tent, you put it up and actually it blows away. Well, actually, you didn't put the pegs in. That's a learning point for next time, you know. <laughs> or the teacher comes over and they say, right, let's consider how many poles you've got and let's consider, um, you know, how many, how many holes you've got or, or whatever it might be. Are you putting them in the correct places? Are you spacing the pegs out correctly? Let's consider what your end product needs to be are you Mm. heading in that right direction definitely metacognition like i say it's all around us it's in everything we do anytime we're being cognitive we're we're being metacognitive so yeah in duke of edinburgh map reading you know there's nothing better than getting lost realizing ah you know we had the map upside down it's not a mistake you're going to make again is it hopefully (laughs) i can see i can see a lot of kids doing that Definitely. Yeah. Didn't do it myself. I'm going to put that disclaimer. I think that's there's such value, isn't there, in that sort of tangible, practical element mm. in unpicking layers of meaning that then when you go on to look at something more theoretical, you've got something to hold on to. Definitely. Yeah. If you if you mention those ideas of, you know, right, let's plan this, let's monitor, see if we're going in the right direction, even literally, isn't it, on, on, on D of A, you know, and then evaluate, you know. Was your planning good? Was your weather route suitable? Mm. Let's learn from that. You know, there were, there were great experiences you can take from something like that, like you say, into the classroom. Yeah. 
So before we finish up, Nathan, just a couple of final points. And we've actually just touched on it there, but I just wondered, you're such a busy guy and you've got very young kids, haven't you? Yes, yeah, three and 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 seven. Well, almost eight months now. Eight months in a couple of days. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous <laughs> ages, keeping you very busy. And I just wondered yes. how you cope with workload. I think I'm I'm fortunate. If I was to sort of go with my two biggest and best characteristics, organisation and efficiency. Mm. I've, I've sort of changed routine recently. Actually, I used to be sort of one of the first in. Uh, and equally one of the first out. Slightly different now, so I'm I'm not one of the first, and I'm, I'm maybe in a, a twenty to eight. Um, and then I'm, I'm typically in until about 4.45. I don't take lunches. I don't take breaks. I am, you know, for that time, just completely immersed in what I need to do. So, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm very rarely going to be, you know, sat in a staff room having a chat. Wow. Please tell me you have a cup of coffee along the way somewhere. Well, I'm not, I'm not a coffee drinker. Um, okay. So I've got my trusty, I've got my trusty water with me. Um, and, and, that, and that's me for the day. Keeping so hydrated. It's like, you know, a couple of litres a day. Um, I can really tell if I've not I've not had my water, but that, you know, I, everyone always says, "Oh, you know, what's your tip? You don't seem to eat this or drink that. It's just water. Always go for the water." Wow, wow, yeah, very healthy. You're right, though. It's really vital to keep hydrated and and sort of focus through the day. And I think water really helps with that. But personally, I have a couple of coffees alongside <laughs> it. <laughs> oh no, I used to be a used to be a big coffee drinker. So I sort of changed changed from that was actually in secondary school. Used to used to be a huge coffee drinker. So, so you're efficient and you're organized. Top tips there. It, they're, they're sort of, you know, I guess I, I have developed them. I've, you know, I've worked on them and I guess I know that I want to be home early. I know that mm. I want to be spending, you know, time in the evening with, with kids. And our final question and, and another one to cope with workload is what's your best track to listen to on the way home on a Friday at 5 p.m.? High Hopes from Panic at the Disco. I just think it's got a great, great beat to it. Just talking about High Hopes. I feel like it's my, if I had a, a sort of a teacher song, it's mm-hmm. what I believe in really, you know, those high hopes for students making sure that, you know, we're, we're always striving for them. So very cheesy, I know, but whenever <laughs> it comes on in the car, I'm turning that up and I'm thinking, you know, if the kids ever said, sir, watch your song, um, you know, that would be the one. Although a few weeks ago, before the year 11s left, they uh, they asked me to put some songs on in our last lesson. That uh, they quickly got rid of my selection and put their <laughs> songs on. So I'm not sure how, how well cheeky. that song would go down uh, with them, really. But yeah, that that would be my Friday listening. High hopes, Panic at the Disco. That's a great choice. Well, high hopes going forward, Nathan. I think you you've got such interesting ideas to share. Thank you so much for sharing and coming along and talking to us today. Oh, no, I've absolutely loved it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Nathan. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To find out more about the Oxford Smart Curriculum, read the curriculum direction paper and have your say, please visit www.oxfordsecondary.com forward slash smart.